Cairo, Seattle. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Nadia Hussein, winner of the Great British Bake Off's sixth season. At the time, Nadia was a stay-at-home mom, but the win completely changed her life. Since 2015, she's written a dozen books, a combination of cookbooks, children's books, and a memoir, and she's hosted eight TV shows, including Nadia Bakes on Netflix which is also the name of her most recent baking book. Nadia is British Bangladeshi, and her dad spent his entire career running and owning Indian restaurants. And Nadia always felt frustrated that he served his customers watered-down, westernized versions of the flavorful meals they ate at home. Well, this is not the case at Seattle's Spicewalla, an Indian street food restaurant opened by an immigrant couple who also felt frustrated by the lack of regional Indian food in America. I was like, when we have kids, I don't want my kids growing up in this country thinking that this is Indian food. We'll hear a lot more from Dr. Akanksha Sinha and her husband and business partner coming up later in the show. But first, my conversation with Nadia Hussein. Today, Nadia is known for her baking. But growing up north of London, eating her parents' Bangladeshi cooking, she didn't even know what an oven was. No, absolutely not. I laugh about it now, but baking isn't something that we grew up doing. And we didn't eat very many cakes unless they were shop-bought or store-bought. You know, we had an oven, but we only had an oven because it came with the cooker. (laughs) My mum used to use the oven for storage. The pans would sit in there filled with oil, very tasty, ready to fry her next batch of fermented fish or samosas. But no, we never grew up using the oven. I never really used an oven till I was properly till I was about 21. Yeah. So how did you find out what the oven does? It was something that happened in school, right? Right. So I was in school. I was in my first lesson of food studies. The teacher, Mrs. Marshall, who's an amazing teacher, she kind of was mixing together butter and flour and sugar and eggs. And like for me, that was odd because in the kitchen, I grew up sort of, it was onions and ginger and garlic burning and roasting on the stovetop. And so there she was, butter and flour and sugar and eggs, and, and not something that I was used to seeing. And then in it goes into a tin and into what I called the cupboard at the time. And I said, what's wrong with you miss and she said what's wrong with you how do you know how do you not know that this isn't an oven and I was like like that's the cupboard on fire and she said no that's the oven (laughs) Um, so she then puts this batter into the oven and then out comes this cake and for me I think like that was that magical moment in baking for me when I was 11 or 12 years old where I really kind of experienced that magic you know that feeling of Disney well it was bright and beautiful I was like what it was like birds were singing and even to this day even now sometimes if I get hit with that smell and I kind of really think about that smell it takes me right back to being 11 and seeing someone bake a cake for the first time it is magical it really is like it did open up an entire dimension that I had never explored. Uh, it was a whole new adventure and I was on it on my own, which was actually really lovely. Growing up in your house, you were studious and you really wanted to go to college, but that just wasn't in the cards for you. I was the first person in our family to make it to university. And unfortunately for me, close to the time when I got to going to university, my mom was just absolutely no way. She's like, you're not going to university. And I was really disappointed because I was the first person and also first girl in my family to get into university. And I wasn't able to go. I was told, 
you can't go. At the time, I didn't fully understand it. And to be fair, still to this day, sometimes don't fully understand what it would have taken for them to just kind of say, go on, go take a risk, do something that we've never done before. But I suppose I have to kind of as a parent now remember that, you know, my parents were immigrants and they came to a country that wasn't theirs. The language is not familiar. The lifestyle wasn't familiar. You know, they're raising six children who suddenly feel really comfortable in the in the surroundings that they're in. And, you know, my parents weren't comfortable in that surrounding because it wasn't theirs, whereas it was ours. It was hard for my parents. You know, they they couldn't let go enough to allow me to do something that I really wanted to do. I think I've moved on from that now. You know, I understand as as immigrants, essentially to them as parents, I was asking them to go to space. I think it's very alien to them. So I understand from their perspective. I wish I had gone um, and I wish I hadn't listened to them and just done it anyway. But I'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason. So I was destined to be somewhere else. So, yeah. Yeah, I know your whole life would be completely different. I mean, those sliding door moments. Yeah. She couldn't go to university, but she still wanted to move out of her parents' house. So at 20 years old, Nadia got married. It was an arranged marriage, and on her website, she describes her husband as her Prince Charming. Nadia told her husband she wanted to bake, and he told her that he loved cake. So he bought her an oven, and she happily baked him cake after cake. Nadia was a big fan of the Great British Bake Off since season one, and she'd convince her husband to sit down and watch the show with her. And he kept saying, oh, you can do that, or you can do that better, or I bet you could do this. You've made that, and it looks yours look better. So... He kind of weirdly started to, I suppose maybe perhaps he saw me in the tent and saw that I could do better than some people in the tent. One day, he presented her with a partially filled out application. Do you want to just fill this in? And I thought it was something to do with the kids or school. or And he was, I was like, this is an application for Bake Off. He said, yeah, yeah, go on, just do it. Just do it. Humor me. Go on, humor me. And he that's was, and I said, I'm not doing it. And then he said, humor me. You might not even get in. And I did it. And I got in. <laughs> so crazy. For 20 years, Nadia says she suffered from a panic disorder, which is a big reason she didn't want to apply to be a contestant on a television show. Talk openly about the fact that I suffer quite badly with anxiety. So much of having anxiety involves you hiding and, and, and kind of pretending. And I don't do that anymore. You know, I don't hide. I don't pretend. I'm not embarrassed of it at all. I used to be ashamed um, and I don't feel that shame anymore. And that's half the battle. Nadia had never dreamed of being on TV. She didn't have a baking blog or plans to bake professionally. After having her third baby, she finally fulfilled her dream of going to university. Between diaper changes and feedings, Nadia got a degree in social work. But before she could start that career, she won Bake Off. I think one of the fun things as an American watching the bake is that I have not heard of any of these desserts. It's like the Queen Mary's, Battenberg, you know, bathtub tart. And, and like even the fact that you call it sponge, Americans never called it sponge. And I was just wondering, were you familiar with all of these desserts? Like I always wondered, have you guys heard of all these things too? No, I mean, not always. I mean, I think they definitely try and pull a sneaky one when it comes to the technical because they want to do something. Like, I hadn't heard when on, on the year that I was on Bake Off, I hadn't heard of a, a Spanish wind tort, uh, which essentially is a fancy pavlova, and a tennis cake, which is basically just a cake with a fondant tennis court on top. So some of it is real and some of it feels <laughs> a little bit made up. And we did flaunus. I think it's like Greek cheese pastries. And the tent smelled like socks. I remember they smelled <laughs> like smelly teenage socks all weekend. I remember that. I'm a bit of a cake geek. So I kind of like learning about cake. Um, and I love learning about where it originates from. I just like learning about cake. 
When we come back, Nadia reveals her last meal. And you'll meet the owners of Seattle Spicewalla, a restaurant created by two Indian immigrants who really miss the food from home. What would your last meal be? My last meal would be, and I get asked this all the time, and the answer is the same all the time. Off the top of my head straight away, it would have to be my mom's chicken korma. And it's not like the kind of chicken korma that you'd eat at an Indian restaurant. It's the kind of authentic Bangladeshi chicken korma that's cooked with so few spices and so few ingredients, onion, ginger, garlic, so uh, really, really sweet, cooked gently with aromatic spices, cardamom, cinnamon, bay leaves, a uh, touch of fennel. And that's it, like whole spices that kind of cook down gently. And you have chicken on the bone. And right at the end, you add a load of boiled eggs and you leave that to kind of boil away for hours. You eat it three days later because by then all the flavor will have ab- absorbed into the chicken and the eggs. So it's like one of the nicest, most delicious, kind of for me, the one, one of the most nostalgic meals because, I mean, it's got loads of butter in it. So it's one of those meals that my mom only ever really cooks twice, maybe three times a year. And, and when she cooks it, you know, it's a special occasion. So like for me, it's, it would have to be a chicken korma with rice. I've heard you talking about this dish before. And am I correct that your dad worked or owned a restaurant? Yeah. So my dad, I mean, his whole life, he ran restaurants, owned restaurants. That's the only trade he's ever, ever been in. And and I would always argue with him and say, why are you serving this stuff? Like it's so bland and it's, I mean, it was tasty, but it wasn't what we ate at home. So I was like, dad, why don't you give people the real stuff? Like give them a real coma and the way mom cooks it. And he's like, no, the world isn't ready for that. And part of me thinks he just wasn't brave enough to make the change. He said, nobody will eat that. And I need to pay the bills. And ultimately for him, it was about paying the bills. And he, he wasn't willing to take the risk to change anything. He just needed to pay the bills. My, I did a korma recipe from one of my first cookbooks. And I remember saying to my dad, dad, I actually put the korma in. And he goes, wow, you did it. You finally did. You, you're giving people the korma. And I was like, I am, dad. I'm giving people the korma. And what was your dad's korma like that he served in the restaurant? What was different about that than the one that you guys had at home? Completely different. In the korma that we have at home, there's no cream. So you naturally get the color from the onions, which is us, which are sweet. And so you get that lovely light brown from the onions. Uh, whereas with the korma that dad cooked, there were no eggs. The chicken was never on the bone. They finished it off with uh, cashews, like blended cashews and cream. By the time there was any flavor in it, they'd have diluted it with cream and cashews. And it didn't have any of the whole spices. By the end, it didn't really taste much like mom's korma in the end. So I was like, Dad, it just doesn't taste the same. But yeah, ultimately, he had to pay the bills. And I eventually, eventually got my korma recipe, my mom's <laughs> recipe in into a book. All that it took was you winning a national baking competition to get yeah. the world your family's recipe. And just took me 31 years. Yeah. <laughs> And this recipe is, I mean, it's pretty significant and special to your family because I I heard on a podcast you said that it's the first, um, I don't know if it's the first solid food or curry that you gave your babies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the first curry that you feed. So we've always fed our babies. The first curry they will ever eat is that chicken korma because it's made of whole spices. So it's not spicy, uh, but it has, it's really aromatic. So they get used to those kind of aromatic flavors, which are staple in 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 our curry cooking so they start to get used to those aromatic flavors and there is like 
you put one chili in and you split it open. So you get that kind of, you don't get heat, but it's there. So we're slowly kind of adjusting them to eating heat. And, you know, my nephew, who's a year old, he'll happily eat some food with spices in like chili powder and no problem. He he doesn't even bat an eyelid. And, and my kids have conditioned themselves, you know, through time have conditioned to eat quite a lot of spice, which makes me uncomfortable because I don't eat that much spice. But it's one of the first dishes that our children eat. So, yeah, it's pretty special. Is that the first thing that you ate as well when you were a baby? I believe so. That's what mum said. Mum said that that was one of the first things that she cooked for us. My grand cooked for us. And that's one of the first things we ate. And it's just something that's just carried on. It was the first thing I fed my children. For her last meal, Nadia Hussein wants her mom's chicken korma, cooked with whole spices and eggs, and then left to sit for three days to really soak up all of the flavors. Growing up, Nadia was frustrated that her Bangladeshi dad served bland, less traditional versions of the foods they ate at home in his Indian restaurants. And this got me thinking about Indian restaurants in America. Almost every single one I have ever been to has had the exact same menu. You don't even have to look at the menu to know what's on it. Samosas, chicken tikka masala, a dish that, by the way, was invented in England and does not exist in India. There's butter chicken, vindaloo and tandoori, naan, and the list goes on and on. But of course, just like many countries, India has regional cuisines. People in the north eat differently than the people in the south. Some regions like spicy, others keep it mild. Some people are vegetarian, while others eat beef. But in Canada, in the United States, and England, we often only see the same dishes over and over again. And those homogenous menus are frustrating for some Indian immigrants. One thing that we noticed when we lived in New Jersey, Cincinnati, Boston, Pittsburgh, and then finally Seattle was that we didn't feel like there was any food that really represented what we grew up with. That's Seattle's Otam Mukherjee. I'm originally from Calcutta in India and Akanksha's from New Delhi. We just missed a lot of the authentic food that you find in India. Primarily, we missed street food. Street food is prevalent on every single street corner with vendors, uh, with small carts, serving one dish uniquely that they've perfected over generations. And they're very complex flavors, very complex textures that just kind of sing together. And we didn't find that anywhere. And when we came to the U.S., we found very, very stereotypical Indian food served in almost every single restaurant, which is your curries, your naan, your rice, and those kind of things. I think the most popular food that we found over here was chicken tikka masala. That is Dr. Akanksha Sinha, Otam's wife. There was nothing that resonated with us, so we actually never used to go out to eat Indian food. We primarily were cooking a lot of the food at home. People had a very, very stereotypical image about what Indian food is, that it's very spicy, it's very heavy, um, it's more of a sit-down food. So there was very limited idea of what flavors were. So I think that was one of the reasons why we thought that we should be people who are ambassadors of flavors of our country and be able to show the diversity of food because there's so many states with unique flavors. So this, I may add, adorable couple, cutest, cutest people, prom king and queen. I vote for them. I love them so much. So they opened an Indian street food restaurant called Spicewala. It started as a stand at Seattle's South Lake Union Farmer's Market, and today they have two restaurants with very succinct menus. They serve kati rolls. Kati rolls are from Calcutta, but you find them 
in New Delhi also. So when Kanksha and I were, were dating back in India, we used to eat kati rolls on the streets in, in Delhi. Kati rolls are essentially the Indian equivalent of burritos, heroes, a baby burrito. I think almost every great country has some form of bread with protein on the inside. So kati rolls, the way we make it is a very thin bread with protein on the inside, green chutney and onions. The chicken is marinated in yogurt and different spices then smoked before we cook it fresh. And then the lamb is ground lamb with cilantro and onion and then we form it into patties and grill it. And then the potato is mashed potatoes that are deep fried after seasoned. A nice crispy outer layer and soft on the inside. And then the paneer we make fresh every day because if you go to any Indian store you'll find, or even Costco nowadays, you'll find paneer that's been uh, refrigerated and preserved for months and it doesn't have the same texture as fresh paneer so like the fresh crumbly cheese that you get from making your own cheese and then seasoned marinated I think that's really beautiful they also serve a variety of chaat Indian street food snacks chaat the term essentially means to lick your fingers it's complex flavors that play around with sweet, savory, chili flavors. So what we've done is we have five different versions of chaat over here. Um, we have an alu tikki chaat, so it's a fried potato patty with a bunch of different things on it. So it has sweet yogurt, tamarind, pomegranate seeds, the green chutney, and then chickpea shavings. You shave the little baby chickpea? <laughs> <laughs> Sit and shave it every single day. Yeah. <laughs> So they're, they're these thin, tiny, I'll make you taste it, they're these thin, tiny shavings that are fried again. So it'll just give a crunchy texture. So when you bite into it, it'll be starting with a crunchy texture, then something that's sweet, something that's savory, yeah. a little bit of spice, and then we put some pomegranate seeds on top of it also. So it'll be freshness um, that'll come in. So that's one and then we do a bhel puri that's very close to my heart because it used to be my lunch every single day um, during college. So it has rice puffs, um, again, chickpea shavings, a couple of papri, so chips in it. And then it's all put together with a tamarind sauce on it. Otum says most of the Indian restaurants in America serve food from Punjab. Punjab has a very high rate of emigration, firstly to England and then to Canada and to the U.S. So a lot of the food in Punjab has got a lot of dairy in it because it's, it's a lot of farmers, a lot of cow country. It's very heavy. And they understand why older immigrants serve this food. I think it's a very palatable flavor also. Like if you eat your butter chicken, palak paneer and all of these, these are very easy to eat. So they're not something that's stark flavors. Mm. If you go across a lot of the other regions of the country, you'll see flavors that are much more powerful and pungent flavors. Like where Uttam is from and where I'm from, we used a lot of mustard. Mm. So mustard is super pungent and might not be something that's very, very palatable. So I think because there were people who were migrating to the U.S. or to Europe, um, Britain also, they were trying to find flavors that are safe so that you can set up restaurants that will function and people will come to eat. Older immigrants just had to survive. But Otam and Akanksha can take bigger financial risks. Neither of us cooked professionally. I moved to the U.S. for my master's in social work. I finished up my Ph.D. When we moved to Seattle, I moved as a professor at Seattle University. I quit my job, but I'm right now a senior director for research for Casey Family Program. So still continuing to do more of the social work side and working here as well. Yeah. You're the most educated restaurateur in Seattle. <laughs> 
a double master's and a PhD. Yes, wow. I think so. <laughs> so I used to be a brand manager um, working in marketing essentially for Procter & Gamble. I quit to do this full time. We were testing our concept when you came to the farmer's market. We were testing it while continuing both of our jobs. Um, so we were just doing Saturdays just to see if people liked the food, the price point, the flavors, etc., etc. And then the following year, we opened full-time. We still were both working full-time jobs. Yeah. And then after, I think, six months, I quit my job to, to do this full-time. It was a hobby for a very long time. Yeah. And we're like, this is too much work for it to be a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious about what their parents thought about this career 180. Do you want the true answer? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was so much doubt till maybe we open our second location mm-hmm. which so january of this year okay. so two two and a half years off are you sure this hobby is going to be good enough for you why are you wasting your time have a family instead do you really want to do this you got such good careers why are you sacrificing that i didn't send you to school for this like why are you wasting all that education yes. the whole gamut my father's our our financial officer our accountant uh, also Finally, I think at this point in time, he's now excited about where we are and he's excited about what we're doing. I think a conscious father has always been excited about the food part of it, but been very nervous about the other parts of it. Yeah. Like, who did I get my daughter married to? <laughs> Introducing new flavors and dishes means they do a fair amount of educating. One of the drinks that we serve in the restaurant is masala chai, and masala means spice, and chai means Indian tea. And we put ginger and cardamom as our spices in our tea and we brew it every morning fresh but one thing that drives us absolutely crazy is whenever someone comes in and says hey can i get a chai tea mm-hmm. because chai and tea mean the same thing in in hindi chai is tea really early on in our time we had one of the starbucks employees come in and saw chai on the menu and said uh wait what's like what's this versus what we serve at, at starbucks and we we're like um you know it's not chai tea right chai and tea mean the same thing so you're like wait what and they were part of the marketing team of starbucks chai so it just baffled us so ever since we've had on the menu we always say masala chai not the starbucks kind because people have a very different perception of what chai is if you go to starbucks like another thing chai tea latte chai in india is always brewed with milk so latte is just insignificant but because starbucks offers every single permutation combination of drinks possible yeah. they have that as one of their options yeah. i think most people are very surprised by the chai that we serve because they haven't necessarily tasted really good chai but this is what a function i have every morning and every afternoon like before we came here we had a cup of chai and every time at home we would have this in the morning and we would have some biscuits with it and that's kind of what we do in india this story blew my mind the marketing director of starbucks chai had never had indian chai before Otam and Akanksha were on a mission to bring underrepresented Indian flavors to Seattle. But with Akanksha's social justice and social work background, they are very careful about the way they run their restaurants. We are a social enterprise. 
We focus on paying living wages for our employees. They're profit-sharing employees also. They have health care benefits. They have paid time off, those kind of things. And then we also focus on giving back to the community. So every week we give 200 free meals to people in the community. So we wanted to make sure that both of those interests were well blended in when we opened this up. I think the first time I got my paycheck from Spicewallow was a big moment for the two of us. Probably much less your first paycheck, right? Than you were making at Procter & Gamble. It was almost like negligibly less. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's such a large Indian population in the U.S. And I think it's sad that people don't get to enjoy the food that they grew up eating. In Seattle, we went and ate at a food truck. I had a chicken tikka masala slash dal slash roti. Like it was some morphed version of Indian food. And I was like, when we have kids, I don't want my kids growing up in this country thinking that this is Indian food. So I think exposure is important and we should do as much as we can to make sure that people understand that this is a country with such a rich history of flavors and people who are moving from India can actually enjoy the food over here as well. take a quick break but when we come back Nadia discloses the one thing she really 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 wants to do before she turns 40 and it has nothing to do with baking at the beginning of the episode Nadia shared that her mother did not want her to go to college Uh, I also heard that she doesn't approve of maybe the equal relationship that you have with your husband at home as far as, you know, doing chores and cooking. She doesn't like when he makes her tea. She's very much a traditional woman. You know, she grew up around men who uh, went out to work. They stayed at home. They looked after the children. They looked after the home. You know, dinner was cooked, the children were fed and in bed. And so my relatives that I grew up around my whole life, they took on very typical gender roles. And for us, you know, we, it's not something we really thought about, you know, for us, our survival was helping each other. And it wasn't about, well, this is my job and this is your job. When I needed more help, my husband, when I wasn't working, he was out there nine to five, if not longer, he'd come home, do nappies, make a cup. He can't cook, but he can do everything else, help around the house and vice versa. So, you know, now we both work full-time jobs. We're still raising our family and and very much we have no specific roles in our home, you know, and, and that's something that I want my kids to grow up seeing. I want them to see that family and we help wherever we can. And it's not about one person has one job and another person has another job. We get things done together. And yeah, my mom still is really uncomfortable if um, Adal tries to make her a cup of tea. She'll poke me and say, get up and go make a cup of tea. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh. It just makes me laugh. But like sometimes I I drag it out and I'm like, no, 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 mom. He'll make us things to eat too if you want to you watch <laughs> him make it. It's just her. like... Yeah. And she hates it. She's like, get up right now. And she gets really embarrassed. So you know, it's just the way she is. And, and you know, if it means just getting up and making a cup of tea just to make her comfortable, I'll go make that cup of tea. I don't mind. I don't like to scream and shout about it. You know, she, it, as long as my mom's happy, I don't I'm not really bothered. <laughs> 
you've done so much in the last six years and it's so different than the trajectory that you were on. You know, you did go back to school and, you know, you were going to be a social worker. What is something that you haven't done that you want to do? (laughs) For me, it's all about continuing to do what I'm doing now, because for me, it's ended up being so much more than just a career that pays the bills. You know, it's for me, it's about doing something that I love. And I never imagined in a million years, I would find a career that I'm so wholeheartedly invested into. So for me, it's about continuing to do what I do, but also it's a responsibility of creating a space for people like me who don't occupy spaces in publishing or television, because, you know, being a part of the ethnic minority, you know, I kind of look back as my younger self and think, did I see myself represented in media, in publishing? And absolutely no way did I. So for me, it's a responsibility to kind of occupy that space and make sure that I'm creating space for other people to feel like, oh, well, if she can do it, then so can I. And that's really important for me. If there's one other thing that I'd love to do is get my motorbike license before I'm 40. Oh, I love it. Yep. I want to buy a Vespa. Before I turn 40, I want to buy a vintage Vespa. We've got about three years left and I want to drive around Europe. That's the plan. What color do you want? Because I'm looking at your book and I love the colors of this book and I can totally picture you on a mint colored Vespa. That's well, yes. So I'm thinking like a sage. Yeah, like a kind of a a light green sage, maybe a mint. I won't go pink because I've got teenagers. So I reckon they'll be like, oh, I don't want to go on your pink Vespa. So (laughs) I will go for something that they like, uh, a really cute helmet, and then just kind of zip around Europe. That's the plan. I want your helmet to look like a big cupcake on your head. (laughs) Don't tempt me. That's the kind of stuff (laughs) I would do. And that was Nadia Hussein's last meal. If you have a baker or a cook in your life, pick up one of her cookbooks. The newest are Nadia's Fast Flavors and Nadia Bakes, which has recipes like orange and lemongrass meringue pie and matcha and kiwi hurricane roll. Well, the new book is beautiful. I love the colors. The rose gold on the side is so beautiful, especially when you have it on the shelf and you get that kind of sparkle sticking out on your bookshelf. Um, So yeah, congratulations on everything. Um, And I'm so glad that you found so much joy. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Spicewell as Dr. Akanksha Sinha and Otam Mukherjee. There are two locations of Spicewell in Seattle. Go to spicewalla.com. That's spice, W-A-A-L-A.com. And if you've never had a kati roll before, they are delicious. I had kati rolls for the first time just a few years ago in New York City. It's this flaky, chewy bread and the creamy, tangy, savory fillings. So delicious. But there are still other foods that they miss from home. Really good momos. We have so many Tibetan people in northern India, and their food is just delicious. It's comfort food. I would argue momos are so much better than a lot of the other dumplings that we have. Might be, you know, controversial. We've tried everywhere in the U.S. that we, whenever we travel, we will most likely find momos, and we'll always be disappointed. It just doesn't taste the same ever. So in India, we have goat meat, and the fat in the goat meat is just something totally different and a lot of the momos are made from goat meat it's just delicious i don't know this episode was produced by laura scott and me theme music by prom queen make sure you're following along on instagram i'm hello rachel bell it's basically food and hiking if you have a moment rate us review us it actually does help get the podcast out to more people i'm rachel bell and this is your last meal 